You're listening to the Type 1 Run Podcast. Leave no ones behind. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 21 of the show. I'm your host as always, John Fody. Today on the show, I have Josh Reese. Josh is from Knoxville, Tennessee and was diagnosed with type 1 in his teens after his type 1 mother routinely checked his blood sugars. Since his diagnosis, Josh has been pretty distant from the type 1 community, but now finds himself trying to get more and more involved with others, especially type 1 runners. If you're in the Knoxville area, also please help me convince Josh to start his own chapter. And without further ado, here's my interview with Josh. Josh, what's up? Uh, not much. Good evening here in Knoxville. But yeah, no, I appreciate you reaching out and getting a hold of me and, and kind of you know sharing your experiences a little bit. Um, I'm excited to capture some of those here, and we won't talk for a lot of time. You know, I know it was kind of last minute scheduling this, but we'll yeah, absolutely. Out. Whatever I can do to help. I mean, I've been very impressed with your podcast, and it's just it's just good to hear people talking the same language, the same talk. I mean, um, knowing we're kind of all in this together. So how long have you been type one? So let's see, going on 15 years, I guess I was a senior in high school. Dang. Um, yeah. December, 2002, I guess. That seems like a crappy time to get diagnosed. Yeah. So may have even played into that college choice a little bit, kind of staying home. Yeah. Learning the ropes. And Um, then what was it? Like the talk, what, what was it that took you into the hospital or the clinic? Exactly. Like, were, were you playing sports right. at the time? So, uh, so my mother is actually a type one diabetic, um, Man. and she was diagnosed at eleven. Yeah. Um. So she would give us like random blood sugar checks. Um. Every once in a while. Yeah, so that's like, terrible. <laughs> yeah, you know. Well, it's it's good, but that seems bad for her to like constantly always be worried that it's going to get you. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, you're kind of at that 17, eight, I think I just turned 18. Um, you know, you're kind of past that point of like juvenile diabetes. So it's like, Oh gosh, you know, we we're, we're past that. But, uh, yeah, no. So it was like a random check in late December and it was, my sugar was like over 300 and, you know, we we're trying to hypothesize like, Oh, I just ate all this candy or whatnot. Yeah. And, uh, no. No, you've got diabetes. I mean, that's just kind of how it works. <laughs> no. And so you didn't have like any severe symptoms. She just checked because it was, you were already checking all the time. Not all the time. Right. Like it every, was kind of like that five, five, six months. 2020. You look back and you have all the symptoms. You just really don't pay attention to it. Um, yeah. Definitely had a, definitely had pretty significant weight loss and just like lethargic, a little bit cranky, you know, more bathroom trips, that sort of thing. When was your mom but, uh, diagnosed? So she was at age 11. Um, so she's going on like 50 years. And so this is going to be a personal question and you don't have sure. to, you don't have to answer it. It's just something that I think about now. Um, I got diagnosed at 27. Yeah. Sometimes I forget how old I am. And now I'm, I'm kind of putting myself in your mother's shoes. Like, do I need to be like your mother and check my kids up until right. they're 18, you know what I mean? Or after they're 18, you got diagnosed at 18. Do I need to check them until they're 19? You know what I mean? Like, do sure, I need to worry I, about I mean, that? Or you, is that I something you that always, you're worried about? Sure. I think you always have that kind of in the back of your mind. I don't think it's necessarily uh, something you have to do, but um, we just actually, my wife and I just had our 
first child who's a month old today. Wow. And, um, Congrats. They were, uh, I think it was like 8% maybe was like the chance of um, inheriting diabetes. Yeah. Um, as far as type one was what the uh, OB was telling us. But, uh, you know, I, you know, I think it's something you're always going to think about, but realistically, it's really not that significant of a difference. Yeah. And so are you going to kind of do your mom's thing where every six months to a year you're checking their blood sugar? Or? Yeah, I don't know about that. We'll see. Um, you know, I think being just like more aware of the signs um, can go a long way as well. I don't need any kind of crazy freak out or anxiety with yeah. it as well. But it is something, you know. Yeah, you don't want to make it weird. Like keep it so talk to me about like you get diagnosed. When At what point do you get involved within the community? Because it sounds uh-huh. like maybe now you're trying to maybe kind of weasel into, not weasel, but, you know, kind of find a way to connect with other type ones, maybe more if you already right. have or like, how does that, how does right. that go so, from being I mean, 18 I, I, to I now? I greatly benefited from, you know, having my mother as a, as a resource and going to like the local diabetes educate, educator and, you know, my endo and that sort of thing. But, um, I would say it's just within like the last two or three years that I've kind of, you know, taken the initiative to get more involved um, in the community and, and like just kind of being on social media platforms and that sort of thing and just kind of seeing what other people are doing. So, so that's definitely a new thing for me. So what about the rest of your type one life? Like you just didn't feel connected to it or you just didn't really like, no, not really. No, I, there wasn't, you you know, um, I mean, I've heard of like, people going to camps in the past and things like that. Um, and I knew a person here and there, but no really community aspect for probably that first decade I was diagnosed. And what was your, like, what was your relationship with diabetes then? Um, like, were you in a good place of, with it or were you like denying it for years? I mean, I think I had a good handle on it. Um, and had decent a one C's and that sort of thing. But you know, it was, I was kind of mad. I was mad that I wasn't able to eat the same type of foods that I used to. Um, um, you know, it, it was just something else. I mean, it really didn't restrict me in a lot of ways. It was just kind of burdensome. Um, just one more thing, I guess. And were you an athlete? Uh, mostly some pickup basketball, uh, played some competitive golf along the way and then, you know, wouldn't miss out on like a food challenge if I got a chance. What do you mean? Like a food challenge, like a eating competition? Yeah. An eating competition, you know, <laughs> favorite pastime of mine. Have you done an eating competition since you got diagnosed type one? I have not. I've, I've kind of backed away from that. That's actually a really interesting question that I'm going to look into. That <laughs> If there's anyone out there that's doing that, that's type one. Cause I guess the nature of, an eating competition is you don't necessarily know how much you're going to eat. So you wouldn't know how much to bowl is for, for sure. That's true. I'm I don't know. I think I, maybe I, did, I, I might've been in on a crystals eating contest after my diagnosis, but, uh, lots of good bowlers for that. Did you win? Uh, I was, uh, yeah, I did. Um, <laughs> I didn't like take on Kobayashi or anything like that, but you know, but you don't know how much you bowl is for. 
like what percent? <laughs> you just threw like a ton I think at it. Was it. Like, it was like 10 crystals in two minutes or something like that. So, oh, so you knew, yeah, you knew the limit. It wasn't like eat as many hot dogs yeah. as you can in five right. minutes. It wasn't like 30 minutes or whatever. I'm going to bring, I'm going to bring a professional eater on here. That's type one. I'm going to find him and I'm going to bring him on. And they're going to teach us. Brilliant. <laughs> I don't. I don't necessarily know if it relates to running at all. I'll see if they run, and then I'll t- make that the caveat. But yeah, definitely not before the race. And so, what, what's like the first place that you got involved? You said, so like the past couple of years, you've been getting more and more involved. I'm kind of new to Type One as well, too. But I found like a way to get into the community right away. I think that was like something that I needed because of like when and where I got diagnosed in my life, but. Like, what's the first place that you found as a resource right, or that's as like a extreme. thing that you reached I mean, out to? And I'm extremely impressed by how quickly you've been into it. I mean, you're just coming up on a year. Is that right? Yeah. So it's May now. I got diagnosed June 20th, actually. Okay. I, for the longest time, I thought it was the 21st, but it was actually the 20th, which I wouldn't have known the difference because I was so sick uh, that week anyway. I wouldn't have. <laughs> I didn't know what year it was, let alone the exact date. But yeah, I'm coming up on a year next month. Right. So, I mean, I, it's mostly not really local stuff, but uh, just being on social media, looking at like Beyond Top One, like Diabetes Sports Projects, just people that were kind of interested in the same thing. And then I, I found your podcast by literally surfing for diabetes running, just expecting to hoping to find like an episode or two. Yeah. <laughs> um, and to see that there's a very specific podcast out there was a. Uh, yeah. Quite surprising. Really, really awesome. It, we're a fringe community for sure, but it, I'm amazed at how big that community is. If you start looking globally, you know, there's tens of thousands of type ones that classify as runners. You know what I mean? So it's well, yeah. that community, you know, we're fringe, yeah, and niche, but it's pretty big if you start looking at the global aspect of it. So uh, even every day, I, I'm amazed as to how many people, you know, are involved in the podcast or type one run or beyond type one. And, it impresses me all the time. So it is funny that you actually looked specifically for it. That was, that was one of the thoughts of naming the podcast initially, the diabetic running podcast. Is I didn't want it. I didn't want there to be any barrier between people finding, you know, or searching for what they wanted and finding it, you know? Yeah, that was, I still can't believe it. That was quite <laughs> astonishing. Yeah. What's the, what's the first episode that you listened to? Was it episode I, one? Actually, I'm, I'm thinking about deleting. I started, yes. One. Yeah, I was like, I don't think I started listening to like mid-March, but I just started at one and like went through the first 12 in, in, yeah. in, about, in about three days. But, That's um, funny. I'm thinking about deleting episode one only because I'm sick of people listening to my own story first because I feel like other everyone else's story is better. Like we're about to capture your story and your story is going to be way better. But um, you know, just because you have hey, way no, more experience. No, we and, need... We need normal, regular, not super fast runners like yourself and I on there as well, for sure. Yeah, I'm I'm super normal in that sense. Maybe not always. I am moving to Boulder, Colorado next month, so maybe the altitude will turn me like superhuman. That's right. But you're at out. You're probably at like a thousand something feet. Better. I'm at like twelve feet here. So yeah, (laughs) anything will be better than Southern Alabama. Yeah, we got some good hills here, no doubt. Yeah, and so. Is there a Nashville, or I'm sorry, is there a Knoxville type one run? There is not. Um, so I'm like that weird guy on the seeing what everybody's doing in Nashville. Yeah. They kind of got that Nashville jealousy going. That's where everything's going on. 
nowadays. Start a Knoxville chapter. So maybe that's what's next. If you had to guess, how many Type 1 runners do you think there would be in Knoxville? Gosh, I I really don't know. Um, (laughs) So you're you're saying you don't know any. I don't know. So you don't know any. I I do not know any Type 1 runners. Yeah. Do you know any Type 1s in Knoxville? Um, I do. Well, there you go. You just have to convert them into running. Just convert them to running. Which is funny because it's like the last sport that someone who doesn't want to get into a new sport wants to get into. Like you might convince them to pick up tennis or golf, maybe soccer, you know, if they played in high school. But getting someone to run that like has no interest in running, probably not going to happen. Hey, Unless, it's affordable. Yeah, it's affordable. Unless you like tricked them into calling <laughs> it like hiking, you know, like, oh, we're going to go on like a uh, a trail hike. And then you just run the whole time. <laughs> That's the thing. Tra- trail running's where it's at. That's kind of my new love. And, well, and you've got a lot of access to amazing trails in Knoxville because you can just push east a little bit and hit the park, right? right? How far are you? Like, what's, what's your go-to park and trail? Um... So, like, Hall Ridge is, like, up here in Oak Ridge. It's, like, 15 minutes from my house. Um, you know, tons and tons of trails. And then you got, like, Imes Nature Center. I, I think I read the other day there's, like, over 150 miles of trails in just, like, the Knoxville metropolitan area. Yeah. Do you ever, so, like, how far are you from the National Park, Smoky Mountains National So, about Park? an hour. Okay. Um, yeah, I haven't really ran any of those trails. There is like a there is like a group run down at uh, Cades Cove in the in the national park. So yeah, well, I'm not pressuring you. That. I'm not pressuring you, but I would say you should definitely start one. It it normally starts with one, and it grows to two and three and four, and maybe it peaks out at five forever. But right, I think the, the nature and for anyone listening, you know, if you don't have a type one run in your area and you're skeptical. Just start it. Like worst case scenario, after six months, I'm, st- I'm still and running found by nobody. Myself. Yeah, you're still running by yourself. You call James and Craig, and you're like, "Hey, I still can't find anyone." They help you out. Right. Another six months goes by, and you're like, "We still haven't found anyone else." Well, maybe then you hang up the. Maybe then you're like, "Ah, no, nah, I'm not gonna put any more effort into it." But sure. give it time. You know what I mean? Give it a shot. Like, what's the worst thing that happens? But I will say, there's something about running with non-type ones as well to be learned about. Cause that's all I do here because I'm kind of, I'm in that same boat where it was like, I started a chapter hunted for a long time and didn't really find anyone within the community, like within like a two and a half hour bubble that like wanted to run with me. You know what I mean? That was type one. Mm. So I just found non-type ones to run with all the time. You know, like I find them at work or within the community here and there's kind of something to, you know, there's still something in that, but I will say I've run with type ones now and it's fun. Like only because I'm kind of cut off from the type one community other than, you know, on social media and through the podcast, you, on the other hand, I feel like you're different because you have your mom. So you can kind of like vent and talk to her probably as, as much as you want about type one, right? Yeah, no, no, she, she's a good one to talk to. And then, you know, I've, I've got another friend who's just recently diagnosed, um, kind of starting insulin. Um, and unfortunately there's going to be a lot more of these, People in their twenties and thirties being diagnosed. Why do you say that? I, I just—it just seems like a trend to me. I don't know what the numbers are out there, but um, a lot of these late onset seems seems much more popular these days. Do you think it's more popular, or do you think it's more like known? Like people announce it more. Uh, I don't know. 
I'm also like concerned, you know, a lot of times they'll originally diagnose it as, as type two. Um, and, and that's kind of how my story was like my diagnosis was, Oh, maybe it's type two, you know, treat it with, uh, oral medications and whatnot. And then you see that like progression of your pancreas just slowly dying. Um, but no, I, I, it seems to me more and more people are getting diagnosed later in life. I wonder what we're doing. Like there's like a conspiracy <laughs> person in me that just like wants to right. know, you know what I mean? Like what is it that we're actually doing? Like I'm not one of those people that thinks that George Bush like flew the planes into nine, like into the world trade centers themselves. But I like, humoring people that think that that is true. You know what I mean? Like I like learning about conspiracies just to see other perspectives and like learn like, okay, like what's your argument for this? You know what I mean? Uh, Right. And that's just an example, like Bigfoot UFOs. I'm always interested in like conspiracies. You know what I mean? And a part of it is can't, I hear the Denver airport's a great one. I, yes. So there's a whole documentary series online that I watched about, like all the suspicious things about why the Denver airport is so big. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to, I kind of rewatch that before I move out there. But, uh, a part of me just can't, uh, there's another weird conspiracy about Denver and we'll talk about that. I learned it when I went to Denver a few weeks ago, but yeah, a part of me just think I'll just mention it now because it actually ties into what we're talking about. turns out Denver and like some city in Switzerland or Sweden or something like that, are the two highest cities um, for type one diagnosis within children in the world. And they think it has to do something with the altitude. Like maybe, like maybe altitude leads to like smaller babies and smaller babies have higher percentages of type one diagnoses. Um, Right. Strange. Yeah. And so I, I just can't help but wonder like, what are we doing like to our food or to our water? Right. What are we causing? But yeah. It's probably nothing. Every doctor that was listening to the show up until this point has probably turned it off. Um, <laughs> or maybe they're calling the FDA themselves like, what are we doing? But, yeah, it's a great question that we need to keep searching for, no doubt. Do you think there'll be a cure? Uh, are you a, are you a wait for the cure kind of person? Down, yes. I don't even think there. about it. I, other than when I mention it to other type ones, like chokingly about there being a cure, I just assume right. maybe this is bad because I do like to advocate for type one, but part of me just is accepted the fact that I'll live with it for the rest of my life and I'll just die an old man sure. with type one. And that's like, that's not a problem. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very controllable. I mean, there's all kinds of good resources out there, but you know, I think there might be something to, you know, conserving the beta cells as much as possible, but you know, I think that's going to be more for people that are more recently diagnosed than people that have, that have had top one for a long time. So you're saying that me and you will be screwed. Exactly. <laughs> Talk to me about when you started running with type one. Like when's the first time. And if you could, you, I mean, you can kind of take this opportunity to speak to directly to someone who might've been in your shoes back then. But like, if you can think about the first time you ever went on a run as a type one diabetic. Yeah. So, and you were faced with all the different conflicts of like, oh, you know, do I want my blood sugar a little higher or a little lower than it is? Should, right. I, should I eat? Should I not eat? Should I take insulin? Should I not take insulin? Should I take, you know, a glucometer with me or not? You know, like all these variables, right? 
think back to the first time you went on a run and kind of talk to me about that. Cause I'm super, I, I can think about mine, but you know, once again, mine was a little bit different cause I was already running a lot. Um, right. and so I'm curious as to how that went for you and you know, how we can make that a little bit more tangible for someone who else, for someone else who might be going through the same thing. I mean, there was that decade there after my diagnosis where, you know, pickup basketball was about the extent of my physical activity. Um, so you didn't even, you didn't go to so, the gym, so, you didn't like bodybuild, MMA, no, not really. nothing like that? No, hit the golf course. Um, but I mean, there was like that occasional two mile run where, you know, you wanted to lose five pounds or whatever, but, um, so, so like going out for a two mile run, I mean, it would definitely be just like disconnect from the pump, um, make sure you're not going to go low, have some glucose tabs or whatever with you. So, I mean, um, at, at smaller distances like that, I mean, there really wasn't a whole lot of concern, but, um, like when I started thinking like half marathon type stuff, which didn't come along to like 2015 or so, um, then you gotta you gotta game plan a little bit more for it. Are you still on the pump? I'm still on the pump. And the CGM. And the CGM. Nice. And big, big fan of the CGM. Where are you on the? Do you want a like Dexcom freestyle? So, uh, so Medtronic. I'm currently on the Medtronic 670. Nice. With the, with the auto mode closed loop. Oh um, wow. Is it working well for you? Because I see, I follow quite a few people that love it. They also complain about it a lot, but I think it's just, so I, I'm probably they tend that, to show a lot of their complaints online. Sure. Um, I probably have those pros and cons as well. I do like it. Um, it takes a lot of the guesswork out of it. Um, the one thing is that, you know, um, 120 is kind of like that goal glucose. So anytime you're like dropping below 20, it's automatically stopping. So it's a lot harder to have tight control, which is kind of frustrating um, when it is in auto mode. Can you but, set uh, it? Can you set it for like 100 or 90 to be like your you target? Can, you cannot. Not when it's in auto mode. Um, you can have it in like a manual mode um, and set a different target. But um, when it is in that closed loop system and it's coming up with its own basal rates, um, it is set at 120. And so it just wants to keep you at 120. Yeah. So that's a little frustrating. Other than that, it's really nice. It's really good. Um, like the Guardian 3, which is the sensor with it, is probably my favorite part. Um, it seems to be even more accurate than the Dexcom was when I used that. See, so you're the first person that said that. So, but I love the Dexcom. Um, Dexcom was great. It just really wasn't part of the the new system that I was going to try out, just kind of trying to be on that cutting edge and get the latest and greatest. Um, See, that's exactly what I thought. And I've got the 670G sitting in a closet and I, <laughs> I haven't touched it. I haven't touched it. Cause when I got diagnosed, I was like, you know, I want the best and the greatest. You know what I mean? And this was sure. advertised as the best, but then I did my trial on the pump and I was like, I can't, I never got to the full closed loop system, but it, I can I can relate to that though. I can relate to wanting to be like you know spearheading diabetes sure. with like the closed loop system and having you that's know, all the thing the stress you got to wait like me. five more years till insurance will cover it, and you know they're gonna come out with something better in six months. That's just kind of yeah, kind of how it works. But your like your insurance was good to go already. 
Yeah. Yeah. And so like what's you and running like now? So like, when did you find running as a type one? Like, what did it take? So it took me trying to impress my wife. Um, well, it wasn't my wife at the time, but my girlfriend at the time, it was, we signed up for our first half marathon together, which was in 2015. Um, and at that time I wasn't even on any CGM. Um, so that was like disconnect from the pump, shake your blood sugar, take a glucose. If you take, take a goo or a glucose tablets or whatever. And if you start feeling low, take it. Um, and then just hope you don't go low. So that was my first experience. How fast did you run your first half? 157, I think. That's good. That's like a good time just to like, yeah, for your first half. I, I'll take it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but that was really like the first thing I'd ever trained for. Um, uh, diabetes didn't seem to be a big factor. Of course, it helped in keeping my sugars low, you know, throughout the week, um, after running. So, I mean, a big plus just health-wise all the way around. It's funny you mention that. Like, do you think that you saw a noticeable difference in blood sugars from, like, before you started training for the half marathon to the, the day you ran it? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, um, just much more sensitive to that insulin for sure. Did your requirements go down? They did. What about like your predictability, like your day to day predictability of like what your blood sugars will do? Um, I mean, somewhat, I mean, I can tell, I'd, I'd say it's like a 24 hour effect after a run, um, after a moderate distance run that, um, I can, I can be a little bit more sensitive probably for up to about a day. So, yeah. What are you training um, for now? Great question. I want to do another marathon. Um, another? So I haven't even gotten into your first marathon then. Oh, uh, yeah. So my first marathon was in March of this year. Um, and it was successful that I finished. I, <laughs> I kind of had that goal of four hours. I was really connecting with you along these podcasts. Yeah. Um, so goal of four hours, but um, ended up getting some pretty severe cramps, like even starting at like mile seven um, and made it to about mile 17 or 18 without walking. Um, and then kind of walk ran in there and finished at 440. Man, that's awesome that you did it though. That's cool. But yeah, that's the big thing. I, I feel like I've, I've knocked that out mentally. So, you know. Yeah. Now you know that, that now you know that you have that distance in your legs. All you have to do is work on that time. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And I, from what I've seen, like uh, for most people, it seems like their second or third marathon is when they knock like the most time off. Like the percentages that come off are like twenty percent. Right. You know what I mean? Like fifteen percent of their whole total time they can just knock off. It's pretty impressive. Hey, I'd love to do it. Yeah. And what mar- what marathon was that? That was the Covenant Health Knoxville Marathon. Huh. And that was in March. Yep. Yeah, so right before the Nashville Marathon in April, which I was supposed to run. I know, man. I, yeah, I feel terrible about it. Like every, all, like everything was perfect until like yeah, like a month ago. Right when I got back from Portland, it all went down the hill. So next year is that kind of is that what's next for you? I'll do. I'll probably do like a half or a marathon this summer somewhere in Colorado. Okay, and it, it'll be it'll quick. be probably be it'll probably be a trail run somewhere. 
I'm supposed to be running in six weeks. So five and a half weeks now, <laughs> almost oh, five weeks. Great. Yeah. And so it, it was pretty like minimally invasive. They did like an IT band lengthening. Okay. Um, cause I had a bunch of like IT band popping and issues, um, like chronic tightness, um, that just, you know, wasn't ever worked out through physical therapy. And as I transitioned, you know, you know, from one job to the next and, you know, the healthcare I'm on now and I'm all set up with all my doctors. I was like, I'm just going to get this sure. right now. Yeah. You know, before I go to, before I go to Boulder and then there's continual issues and continual pain and, you know, I'm, I'm forced to take a break from running as opposed to kind of choosing, you know, so. Right. And then one of the, my favorite reasons about moving to Boulder was cause you know, I wanted to live at the base of a mountain and run up the mountain every day, you know? And so, and I didn't want to like, I didn't want to do anything that would prevent that. And so now I'm kind of at like a place where it's like, uh, I've done that on purpose. Like I've purposely limited myself. So the first month that I'm there, I won't be able to do that, but hopefully after that it'll be unlimited. You know what I mean? So. Sure. But you already no, kind of already have well that. on your way. You can already run up the mountain. What's like the best elevation gain that you could get in Knoxville? Like from where you're at? Uh, there's a, yeah, there's like a house mountain, which I don't I don't know what the elevation gain on it is, but you know any of the going out to the Smokies uh, get pretty pretty steep in a hurry. Yeah. Have you but ever I mean, heard of the Barkley typically marathons? Typically, my runs you've got seven seven or eight hundred change in elevation. Have you ever heard of the Barkley marathons? I have. Yeah. I've seen I've seen the doc. Yeah. There's a there's a lot of good footage now uh on like YouTube from like the most recent years. Um and there's a really good documentary made by the ginger runner called Where Dreams Gotta Die. Um and it tells the story of Gary Robbins who ran it last year and finished all five loops but was like twenty or thirty seconds late. So he technically oh, wow. is not technically wasn't a finisher. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's some, if you have time to ever go see that. Um, I don't know if it's on YouTube yet because it was like a pay per view kind of thing for a while. But oh, okay. Yeah. Anything by the Ginger Runner about the Barkley Marathons is incredible. And I've always wanted to go out to Frozen Head and just kind of see yeah. it, you know? Frozen but Head's not far away either. A part of me knows what running in Tennessee is like because I've done it, you know, my entire life. So the right. woods of the woods of Frozen Head just sound miserable. Like I almost I almost don't want to go just because I'm like, yeah, it probably is miserable. But yeah, would you say that you're more of a trail runner now than a road runner? I would. I think that's just kind of like, hey, what's next? Let's do something different. So um, what's your next? What's your next trail race? So so they do a series of trail races here. Um, I don't know which ones I'll sign up for, but. Um, they have a like Sharps Ridge. It's like a six or six or seven mile race, and then they actually have one that they do at night, uh, where you have to wear a headlamp that I've participated in before. Um, but that, they're doing like monthly trail races with the running club around here. So, I mean, there's lots of good opportunities there. Yeah. Well, so what you need to do is you need to sign up for like an awesome trail race, and I'll fly out and film you as the Type One Run Knoxville okay. chapter leader, and we'll create your own video. All right, I'm in. But you gotta you have to sign up for a gnarly race that could make for some good shots. For sure. And then you gotta win it. No. Now now that might be difficult. <laughs> so talk about your experience with type one and running now that you're in the community more. Like do you think it is worthwhile to be involved in the type one community as a runner? 
You know what I mean? Because here you are, you know, now you're going to be on the Type 1 Run podcast. And like, a, you know, you'll be on the, the poster for a while of, you know, Type 1 and running. You know what I mean? And so, like, do you think that brings anything to the community of someone who's, you know, already a Type 1 and is already a runner and wants to improve? Right. So, so I think it's very important to be involved. And I think it's good just to show people that it can be done, um, that it can be managed, that it's safe, um, that it's good for your health. Um, I think there's just so many advantages to it that um, I would I would recommend it for for all people to be running, not all people to be diabetics. But for anybody with diabetes, I mean, there's no reason to not be exercising when we know what the benefits are. Um, and I, it's given me something to connect to. It's good to, to meet new people like yourself. It's good to know that other people are going through the same things, talking the same talk. Um, it, it's just good to know that, that people are in the same place and, um, striving for the same goals. So I meant to ask you this earlier. What do you do in Knoxville? So I am a school psychologist in a surrounding school system. So like for multiple schools? Yes. And so how does that work? Do they like give you one set, like a specific, like locked number set of schools and you like travel or? Travel around. Yeah. um, Do quite a like assessment evaluation. That's where some like nice data analysis comes in. Yeah. Um, You know, get to use that quite a bit in uh, my day job and with my. 24-hour job of managing my top one. Um, so, yeah. So, a lot of movement and a lot of unpredictability. And how does that allow you to run? Like, do you think you have a pretty awesome running schedule? So, my running schedule would be one long run on the weekend. Um, and then I'm, like, in the gym strength training uh, four or five days a week. And Damn. Um, with my old friend, uh, the Stairmaster. Is where I really like to get my cardio. Well, I mean, that just trains you for vert, you know? So now you're just ready to go up a mountain. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, put some muscle on the legs, you know? Put some punish into the thighs and the quads. When I was training training for my 50K, I I spent a lot of time on the stair climber. And I I think it helped. I probably should have ran more, but, (laughs) you know, you can only run so much in a small window. Sure. What's, so what's the longest race you've done so far? The full that you did so last the full month? Marathon, the March? It was in March. Yep, March 25th. Um, and I kind of like did a series of races leading up. I did like a half marathon trail in December. I did um, another half marathon in February. And then there was like a 30K. Um, and it was like set up as a winter series by the, the local Knoxville track club. Um, kind of leading up to the marathon. So that was nice to get out and run with some people that were training for the same thing. What is your schedule like for running a marathon as a type one? You know, like you wake up right. at 150. What do you do? Like talk, wake me through the rest of the day. Maybe you didn't. Let's not. <laughs> that's a bad example. Talk to me about how you conquered waking up and getting all the way to a 440 finish at the Knoxville marathon right. because right. you know, there's a lot of people who want to get there, but that seems like kind of impossibly far away not a, let alone the 26.2, but like all of the coordination and like the managing of, you know, your nutrition plan and your diabetes plan. It's kind of daunting. You know what I mean? So 
like how would you summarize your day in terms of so all yeah so as far as, like, so as far as like the training plan um you know you know a good 20 weeks or so um starting at like eight miles um and then making sure i'm having cutback weeks um between all my long runs so so running 12 miles and cutting back to 10 and then 13 miles and cutting back to 10 um just give myself plenty of time and as far as like nutrition um probably just taking a taking a spoon to the uh natural peanut butter um yeah. getting a good eight tablespoons um you, you know i do try to try to go low carb but it does seem like the peanut butter kind of um has enough carbs has enough fat has a protein too seems to be a good snack before the run um gotta so, have my coffee so before so before knoxville marathon you ran on peanut butter and coffee peanut butter and coffee um of course trying to hydrate making sure uh trying to get as many electrolytes as possible um so like i I do the gross thing of putting in like salt with my water that is gross Um, (laughs) thanks (laughs) um it's good salt though redmond's real salt it's great stuff you should try it out sometime um and then i'll I've even used like citrulline to try to get like some nitric oxide in there and try to get going. Um, so, so I mean, I think hydration's key. I think having, you know, the gels available, um, most importantly, the CGM. I mean, that's like your go-to. I think everybody should wear a CGM, whether they're diabetic or not. Um, it, it's just the wave of the future. Do you run with a belt or like a fanny pack or? I don't. I just, like it right, I just clip it right there on my shorts. Um, and this marathon and like training up to this marathon was the first time I'd actually ever run with the pump. Um, I had always disconnected before. I'd run with the Dexcom, um, but I'd never run with a pump before this training. Um, yeah, it sounds like it sounds like you never really ran far enough to where you needed that insulin to carry over. Right. Yeah. What was your what was your still, longest what was your longest run in training? So I went twenty went twenty miles. Yeah. How did that go? Um, like when you ran twenty miles, did marathon. you feel like you were ready to run the marathon or no? Um, I did feel like I was ready. I think it was still a lot of those nerves. Um, I think I kind of like psyched myself out um, a little bit with the cramps. Um, I think my body was ready, but I'm not sure I was mentally ready. See, that's I feel like I would be the opposite. I'd be mentally ready, like overconfident, <laughs> and then you know, right. I just totally blow up on race day. I think I just had this fear in my mind that at like 20 miles or something, my body was just going to give up. Um, you know that I've, I've put all the training in, I put all the work in, but like sometimes the human body's just not supposed to run that far. But we made it. Yeah, and you're going to do another one. Yeah, we are. Yeah. Can't what's the wait. longest what's the longest race you think you would ever attempt as a type one? I mean, uh, assuming you're always a type one. Refer back to our conversation earlier. Right. <laughs> right. Um I'm pretty happy at the marathon distance. Really? Um Because you're into trails now and that days. spirals. Like the more you get into the trail com- community, the more you're gonna the longer like, you go. Yeah, you're going to get into ultra marathons and you're going to have all these like ultra marathon heroes and they're going to be running 100 mile runs. I already do. Have, I mean, 
I heard you reference him before, but Zach Bitter. Um, yeah. Love his stuff. Love his uh, low-carb, high-fat stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, Timothy Olsen as well. So if you like podcasts and you like Zach Bitter, I think he was recently on the Joe Rogan podcast. Have you I ever heard? That's right. Have you ever listened to Joe Rogan's podcast? I have. It's yeah. Pretty entertaining. Yeah, incredible. And he gets to cuss a lot more than I get to on my podcast, which... That's a shame. <laughs> but uh, it's just super interesting. He had Courtney DeWalter on, and that was one of my favorite podcasts of all time. And I haven't listened to the Zach Bitter one, and I've been meaning to... Um, only because I, I think what Zach is doing is pretty interesting in terms of like spearheading ketogenic and running, right. which I think is and really he just started interesting. Started a podcast for, as well with Sean Baker. Did he? Um, yeah. Dang. Um, for, everyone's everyone with that or something like that. Everyone with half a brain is starting a podcast nowadays, huh? Oh. Makes me wonder. Uh, <laughs> at least I have half a brain. Uh, so there you go. There's- Talk to me about because you mentioned it. Like, what's your and you can recruit as many people as you'd like onto you know the Josh train here. Sure. What's your thought about keto and type one? Because I you know I comment and I you know talk to a lot of people online that are like keto low carb. There's like one dude I think it's like mindful diabetic Robbie or something like that. He eats like 900 grams of carbs a day, so he's high carb. I think sure. it works. Like all these different things can work for all these different people, but surely one of them, and this is like kind of like you were talking about earlier, like data focused and like, um, you know what I mean? That training and that 24 hour job plus your part, your real job, you know, having to be data focused and data centric. A part of me can't help but think like maybe there is the perfect diet for type one. Um, uh, and then we, and then we just have to take in all, all the individual genetic factors that we all have and we have to account for, but, what would you say it is? Like, would you say it's keto? Like, would you say that you're keto? Well, I mean, I would say that I'm keto or at least low carb, high fat. Um, you can, I mean, you can call it whatever you want. It's, it's kind of all the same. Um, Atkins, you know, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. uh, Well, it's just interesting because keto was founded. I mean, not founded, but like the first real useful aspect of the keto diet was that you could keep type one kids on, this diet and they would live a little longer, <laughs> you know? Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. And that was like, with, that was probably like back the, in the thirties or forties or something. Yeah. But. Yeah. They were trying to prevent the seizures, but, um, there's actually a study that came out today. I don't know if you've seen it, but it was in pediatrics. It was came really that today? top one grit group, um, where their A1Cs are 5.7, um, which is amazing and non-diabetic range. So, I mean, I, th- I think there's a lot of truth to it. You know, a big believer in, like, Dr. Richard Bernstein stuff. Um, and it just, like, makes sense if you think about it. Um, if you're not eating as many carbs, you know, if you're not having to bolus as much, you're not going to go hypo as much. It just makes a lot of sense. Makes too much sense. Yeah, it's like the less um, variables, the better. Sure. Yeah. So, so I think there's a lot of truth to it. I don't think there's one perfect diet. But you should really be watching your carbs if you're a diabetic. Um, and, and that's about as simple as it is. Yeah, I will say kind of what you're on the, the track that you're mentioning or the track that you're talking about. It's like, yeah, you should count your carbs perfectly. All of us know that we should perfectly count our carbs. But we'll, we all know that the least amount of carbs we eat, the least amount, least amount of variables we're going to screw up. 
You know what I mean? Nailed so, it. Yeah. yeah, like if you're only eating chicken and broccoli and, you know, asparagus yeah, exactly. and nuts and almond butter and coconut milk, then like worst case scenario, you miss it by a couple carbs. You know what I mean? You're not going to like screw it yeah. up by 10 or 15 carbs and be at 400 when you wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning. You know what I mean? But yeah. – Theoretically, you could calculate that pizza perfectly, and you're going to wake up at 100. You could, um, or you could have a closed loop system that does it for you. How would you say? And you don't have to give numbers if you don't want, but like, would you say your A1Cs are better now that you're somewhat keto or low carb while on auto mode? Um, not. I wouldn't give as much credit to the auto mode as I would uh, running and the ketogenic diet. Um, and, and I'm more in those lower sixes now where I was somewhere in the mid sevens before. Wow. And do you think like your time and range is better now? Cause that, there's a lot of debate on that too. You know, people, right. I, I, kind of, I agree to it to an extent where it's like, you know, you, you shouldn't focus on your A1C, you know, that's just a number. You're a person first, but you know, it's a I, scientific number, you know, like auto mode. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I've had much fewer um, hypoglycemic episodes, so I would say I am in range much yeah. more. Okay, that was going to be yeah, that was going to be my question. Us. Was like, you know, okay, are you comfortable with your A one C and are you comfortable with your highs and lows? You know what I mean? Right. That's when you know you found good controls when you've managed and you're, you feel really comfortable with where you're at with both of those numbers. You know what I mean? And there's not a lot of improvement that you would like to make. For sure. Yeah. So, so the, so the hardest thing about that auto mode is like being stuck at that 120 when I want to be at 90 or 85 or whatever. Um, just for myself. Yeah. I see. That's funny because I, I think I would not like it for that reason because yeah. me, if I'm in the 90s or low hundreds, I'm like, ha, mastered it. You know what I mean? But if I'm at 120, a part of me can't, I can't help but think like, ooh, you know, I'd yeah, rather be lower. You know what I mean? Like, I'd rather, yeah. I'd rather be at 100 because my average is going to be better for the day if I'm sitting at 100 all day than 124. You know what I mean? Or like, sure. Yeah. So that's super interesting. And so would you go as far as like to like preach keto to other people or are you not at that point yet? I would definitely say it works for me and that it makes a lot of sense. Um, and I definitely recommend somebody at least trying it and seeing if it works for them. What is a, what, what's like an average meal for you um, in terms of carbs? Like, is it like less than five grams in all? Like, even if you include some vegetables and all that, or like, are you still so, mixing so, in I mean, some like pastas 15, and breads? Probably about 15 carbs per meal. I probably have about 50 a day. Yeah. Um, so I think <laughs> you actually are in the classification of keto. I think it might be less than 50 or 60 a day. It says, I think okay. it's around there. I don't know. I've never read like a book on it or anything. I've just heard <laughs> podcasts and like documentaries right. about it. Yeah. No, there's all kinds of stuff out there. But and yeah, so, it probably would be about 50 carbs a day. And so what do you like, eat? Like what's the bulk? Like what do you feel like you're eating all the time more than everything else? Because so, I know when I was in sardines, paleo. Chicken tunas. breast. Did you say Sardines. You did. That's Ugh. that's the uh, that's the keto secret. Why? I hate the taste. They're, of high, they're high in fat. Yeah. Ugh. 
And how, so my you, wife probably mad at me that I told you that I eat sardines, but you know, so be it. Oh, is that like a family secret? You don't tell anyone that. No, you know they, they don't it? have the they don't have the best reputation on the you know scent. I don't even know where you buy sardines in a store. Any grocery store. Costco has some great ones though. Yeah, like what aisle? Like in the gross food aisle that no one goes in. Exactly. Put it next to the relish and the pickled olives and all the other things that I would never eat. <laughs> I think you've seen it before because you just nailed it. Is it is that actually where it's at? Yes. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> Maybe it's because of people like me, they put all that stuff together so that I won't leave the grocery store. <laughs> you can just avoid it. Yeah. yeah. I so it's funny, you you grew up not far from where I grew up. We grew up in a landlocked state. You know what I mean? Like we mm. didn't Unless you're eating catfish, you're not eating something that right. was caught around Tennessee. You know what I mean? Sure. So my family, we didn't eat a lot of seafood growing up. You know, so to this day, seafood is like very much my least favorite food. In fact, the best seafood in the world that I've ever had was Captain D's. To this day, Captain D's is my favorite seafood, and I'll argue that Can't go to wrong my grave. With Captain D's now. <laughs> I'll argue that to my grave. People are always like, "Oh, the best seafood is in you know Tampa or Miami or L.A." I'm like, no, the best seafood is at Captain M F and D's. It's right down the street. Throw it in that deep fryer, <laughs> and it all tastes the same, anyways. Oh yeah, Pollock tastes like a chicken tender. That's why it's good because you can dip it in ketchup. Um, but yeah, so we we grew up in a landlocked state, so I'm not like super interested uh, in seafood. But now that you've said sardines are high in fat and it's the keto secret, I'm gonna have to try. It. I'll at least the keto like, secret. I'll at least take a bite. You should trademark that before it's already taken. I don't know. That's actually a pretty good marketing thing because it's the mix of keto and the book The Secret, which was a pretty big hit. So. The keto secret. If you don't hashtag that, I'm going to hashtag and steal it. I'm already on it. I'm already taking the steps. <laughs> the keto secret. That's funny. Well, I, yeah, I hate to take up your whole night, of, man. But eat a lot of protein, um, you know, ground beef, a lot of cheeses. Pimento cheese is great on everything. What about avocado? Um, lots of avocados, eggs, bacon. <clears throat> because it's really not that bad. To play devil's advocate, and yes. I'm not, I'm not hating, but I'm just saying. There are certain social media accounts that rave about how great keto is, but they're eating like bacon and like a bunch of like bad fats at every meat. Not that like bacon is bad fat, but everyone knows that if you just ate bacon and Doritos, your cholesterol you would be a very happy person. Oh. <laughs> you you might be satisfied, but you might not be the best, you know, nutritionally in terms of balance. And so I see a lot of keto people that tend to have like a carnivore plate as opposed to like a well-balanced mm -hmm. keto plate. And so do you ever carnivore's, find yourself carnivore's hot right now? <laughs> do you ever do you ever find yourself like struggling to like not eat so much meat and to try and also get in all those vegetables that, you know, like a traditional keto diet would include? I, I do. I mean, I could I could definitely eat meat all day. Um, and be perfectly content, but yeah. I, I do try to get quite a few vegetables. Um, cauliflower is usually, usually the way to go, and then um, get some broccoli, green beans, whatnot. So a lot of salads. I mean, it's uh, you know, 
you can you can get a pretty colorful blade if you work at it. So you lost me with cauliflower. I don't mind cauliflower, but I just don't like what people are doing with it these days. They're like trying to make a rice, pizza sure. crust, you know, muffins. No, just just because it's white, it doesn't mean it's going to make a great pizza crust. You know what I mean? Or a French fry. Like it's still a cauliflower. But eh, I digress. Either way, Josh, thank you so much for coming on the show. We've gone down tons of rabbit holes, and we'll go down a few more as I take us into Tempo Talk, and I'll throw some quick questions at you. And, um, awesome. You Let's can take it. as long as you want, or you can digress as much as you want. Clearly, I don't care. Um, real sugar or artificial sweetener? I'd probably tend to go with artificial sweetener. Um, don't do a whole lot of real sugar, although I would eat like blackberries and raspberries for days. Would you put it in a cobbler and throw ice cream on it? No, just straight, <laughs> straight, straight out of the berry patch. Yeah. Favorite pre-race meal, or it could be like go-to pre-race meal that you used, um, that you've used other than coffee and peanut butter, which I can't say I haven't done. Other than coffee and peanut, I mean, the, those are the secrets there. <laughs> um, bacon, egg, avocado. I mean, just the biggest thing is having time to digest it. Um, yeah. Especially on those early morning runs. You yeah. Know, eat a couple hours before, have time to go to the bathroom. They're all mm-hmm. good ideas when you're going to go on a long run. Are you even bolusing for breakfasts like that? Not typically. Yeah. Um, I, I like to be between 150 and 200. Okay. When, like to start, to start a run. Yeah. If you're no, not. I'm even comfortable probably at like 220 or so. If you're not, will you drive your blood sugars up? I will. Yeah. Um, probably fresh fruit to go along with some of that peanut butter. I can relate. Um, for low treatments, glucose tabs or real food? Definitely real food. What's I mean, your go-to? Keto, it, I mean, you yeah, because you're, you're about to break keto here. So. You have. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, definitely real food. I say this to everyone, but mine's Nutella. Like, if you had to eat real food and you're going to break keto... Just to get your blood sugars up, what is it? It's close to Nutella, but I would go with like a Reese's peanut butter cup. So you keep Reese's peanut butter cups around your house? Uh, there's a few handy. <laughs> they don't stay around long. Yeah. it's. A, I just think about, you know, a new type one wandering through the store and they're like, man, if I go low tonight, what am I going to eat? You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. And they're going to listen to Josh's show and they're going to be like, oh, man. Those Reese's did sound good. Peanut butter cup, couple yeah. scoops of ice cream. I mean, go for something good. Make it count. Nobody yeah, wants might as well. Glucose tab. Something you wish everyone knew about type 1. Uh, it's constant. It's all the time. It's around the clock. Um, it's kind of like always on your mind. But on, on the other side of that, you know, it's not going to hold you back. There's nothing you can't do with type 1. Except for like John Roth, he can't fly an airplane. Yeah. Um, and by the way, that was an awesome episode. Um, really small, smart guy, and uh, a lot of good. Oh good yeah. He had. So, I mean, as you know, he's very keto as well, um, and super successful at it. And he's been on, uh, I think, at least two other podcasts um, where he's talked about it. And uh, yeah, I heard super- him on a Keto Savage the oh. other day as well he's super open to to talking about it too so if you ever want to reach out to him he's actually one of the people i'm really excited to meet up with once i get out to denver and 
yeah, he's out that way. Right. Yeah, he's uh, he's just outside of Denver somewhere in a suburb. And so I'm excited to meet up with him and kind of learn some of his ways and, you know, run or bike with him if I have to. He he does most biking, but he does run. And I'm going to trick him into running more mountains maybe if I can, just because I think it'll be cool to have, uh, you know, another super athletic type one to get involved with. So go for it. Yeah. Advice you'd have for someone who is type one and wants to start running or maybe has been a runner for a long time and just got diagnosed type one. Get out there, do it. I mean, um, a lot, a lot of non-runners see, see running as miserable, make fun of other people who decide to run, just like go out there and run, do it for yourself. Um, it's going to benefit you down the road. Um, and, and, and don't, don't let your mind, hold you back i mean our bodies are perfectly capable of, of running long distances but uh you just kind of have to get past that mental fatigue and get past that hurdle but it's it's completely doable and then um you'll be proud of yourself and you'll be surprised of what you can accomplish that's awesome man. definitely the tip i would give you there though is also you need to pro- prioritize rest and recovery and sleep yeah um you can't, you can't go out there and run every day um, just, just be smart. Trust your body. Yeah. You'll burn yourself under the ground, especially if you're just getting started. You know, you kind of have to inch into it a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Yeah. Well, Josh, thank you so much. That was incredible. Uh, where can people follow you? Like where's the best place to, you know, see the day that you decide on your next race, uh, right. you know, follow along. So I'm with very your, active you know, on Twitter. I don't know how much you'll get from me, but I'll definitely be retweeting all these, uh, <laughs> people preaching keto. Yeah. Um, but Joshua Reese 84 is my Twitter account. And yep. then you can see those, those trail runs on Strava as well. What are you on Strava? Just Joshua Reese, Joshua Reese, I believe. Okay. Nothing mm-hmm. too exciting. Yeah. Are you, are you no like Instagram super running man or I'm not on Instagram. But okay. I'll try to upload a few, a few pictures to Strava every now and then. Okay. I gotta, I'm gonna get you on Instagram. And you're going to get a whole level, a whole new level of addicted to some keto athletics. <laughs> There's a lot, a lot on there. For anyone who's listening, right, you so- like either keto or athletics, like running. <laughs> right. You could combine those into one. Like you could, you could sit on, you could sit on Instagram for a whole month and just learn and learn and read and meet new people and new concepts. So about. much there, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, but hey, man, thanks so much for coming on the show, and I'll. I'll give the rest of your night to you, and I appreciate you uh, coming on. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate your all your all you're doing in the community, and uh, like I said, it's just it's just great to connect with people. Hey guys, so that wraps up today's show. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe. It's an incredible way to get fresh episodes delivered straight to your phone every week. If you think you or anyone you know would be a perfect interviewee for the show, make sure to reach out to me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at type one run podcast or at type one run.org slash podcast. Once again, guys, thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you guys again next week. Train hard, train happy, and leave no ones behind.